<clears throat> so good afternoon, everyone. Uh, so I'd like to um, reflect some more on the these uh, four ennobling truths um, that we've been practicing with and contemplating and talking about. Each one of these four ennobling truths uh, has an action word connected with it. Uh, so the first of the truths is to be understood, deeply understood in one's own experience. The second, so the first of course is, the, is suffering, the, the reality of suffering uh, itself, um, the fact that we suffer. Life is problematic. Mm -hmm. The second, uh, the cause of suffering is to be abandoned. So, so when we see it, we're to abandon it, to let it go, to, to not allow it to push us around, uh, drive us, um, keep, keep that wheel of suffering going on and on. And uh, the third noble tr truth, which is um, the, the truth of liberation, that, that liberation is, liberation from suffering is, uh, it's possible and it's uh, realizable. Um, it's a re redundancy, but anyway. Uh, yeah, so that, so the realization of freedom is to be realized. <laughs> so, um, uh, so deeply, deeply, like that kind of um, uh, inner transformation that Stephen was talking about. That it's 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 deep in your bones. Like it's 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 uh, it's there. It's undeniable. And the the. The fourth ennobling truth, which is the path to freedom, is to be developed. So it's, that's, that's something which is progressive, it's a journey. And, uh, and we're going to focus on that a bit more tomorrow and Sunday. But we're talking about it all the time. We're talking about these path factors all the time when we talk about meditation, talked about ethics, um, and we're talking about wisdom. So all of these are path factors, but we're going to kind of uh, give you a sense of the, 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 those different steps that are, are um, described. And, and it's not a linear journey. It's, it's something which is holistic and organic. So we're, we're always working with all of it. So, so suffering is to be deeply understood. So it, it, it seems, uh, okay, you know, I can understand suffering. I can, I can look at myself and, and, uh, and understand that there's suffering. But, um, but so many people are suffering, and including ourselves, and 
And it's maybe not understood, or maybe only partially understood, um, how many people are, are suffering. You know, just look around. People are suffering and they don't really know who they are. They're just on that wheel. You know, think of, think of um, Wall Street executives. Uh, think of um, people who are in states of fear. Um, think of people who are just uh, grinding away and, um, you know, doing things that are difficult. Think of people who are, have addictions. Um, people are suffering, so many of us are suffering, but we don't really understand that we are. So to, to actually um, turn toward this and recognize it is, uh, is a big thing. Um, we keep trying to control our lives, to push it away, to just cope, somehow just cope. Um, and also, sometimes people are in so such deep um, conditions, pain, painful conditions in our in their lives, that that they don't really have any choice. I and mean, think of people living in war. Um, think of people who are being oppressed, who are being exiled, you know, driven out of their homes, and and their homes being burned. Um, so, so there's suffering, and and sometimes uh, we, you know, people just they may know they're suffering, but but the, but there's just it's just overwhelming. The pain is so it's just overwhelming, and um, and we can feel overwhelmed by it. Just looking around, just looking around and taking it in and seeing how much pain there is in the world. Um, racism, poverty, exploitation, the degradation of the earth, the extinction of species. Many people are caught in cycles of pain that create more pain. So something that we all know, maybe some of us have experienced, is that parents who are in pain um, pass it on to their children. They're driven by the effects of the neglect, the hurt, the, the shame perhaps, the lack of love that they experienced. And so, so they want to somehow, we, we have this delusion that if we act out our pain, that somehow we're offloading it. And, and so parents do that to children. They, they try to offload their pain onto their children. And it just perpetuates the cycle. So what, what needs to be understood 
in our direct experience is that grasping, you know, the energy of grasping and anger, these are painful energies. You know, they, they, they are suffering. And, and, and acting them out doesn't relieve us. It just ingrains them more deeply, uh, creates deeper ruts uh, of habit so that the tracks of our mind just fall into those ruts more easily all the time. The more we act them out, the deeper the ruts are. I had a, a little um, recognition of this early on in my practice, which, you know, I, it was just so um, uh, revealing to me that, you know, I, I can still remember it so clearly. Um, I was on a retreat, and, and I had had, you know, like a good sitting. It, uh, like I have, my mind had been quiet, uh, I had been still, calm, and, um, and I knew it was near the end of the sitting, you know, I could just sense that timing of the sitting coming to an end. And so, bing, a little thought comes into my mind. I think I'll have a cup of tea after the sitting. And, and so, in my mind, I start, you know, walking down the hallway and going to the tea station and making a cup of tea and then thinking, oh, what kind of tea should I have? You know, maybe Earl Grey. You know, should I put honey in it? Milk. All of these little desire fantasies, right? Desire fantasies are not painful. They feel pleasant until, you know, then I come back to my sitting. And I'm in that forward motion to get the tea. So there's that reaching, but then I'm back in my sitting. And I feel in my body, and I realize, wow. That's dukkha. That's dukkha. I mean, not intense dukkha, but I never, I saw it. Like, how the grasping mind is dukkha. And then when we, you know, if we keep fulfilling it, grasping more, getting more, and, you know, we do, we do this and we know people who do this and we see it around us in our consumer society, in all kinds of ways, more, better. Um, it's suffering. So, so we, we can feel that on the personal level. And we can also see it on the social level. You know, we can see how how grasping, how greed, how exploitation, how um, bigotry and um, you know ag aggression causes a lot of suffering in the world. So this personal is universal. So I think that's really important 
take in because we personalize greed and aversion or hatred, delusion. We personalize it. We think it's me. But these are universal uh, energies or uh, experiences. And and these and these uh, and 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 all of the suffering that we see around us is driven by the unconscious forces that have conditioned our minds. <coughs> Grasping the anger and ignorance that cause us to suffer and cause suffering in others is mirrored in the world writ large. So when we understand deeply understand suffering within ourselves. This is a deep insight into the world around us. This, this mind, just to explore more about the nature of, of suffering, you know, always wanting things to be other than what they are. So we want more, we want different, we want ourselves to be different, our partners, our children, our parents, our friends, to be different than what they are. We want our lives to be different than what it is. And so this wanting it to be different than what it is is a stance of non-acceptance of our lives as they are right now. So, so people often ask, well, does that mean that we're just passive and that we just kind of let life happen? So, no, that's not what this means. But in order to respond, we first need to accept. So in order to to respond from a place of, uh, to make a skillful response, to respond from our heart, from our truth, we need to accept that this is the reality of our lives that's unfolded right now. So we have this if only mind, if only this had happened, if only this had not happened. So that if only mind is is another uh, just an illusion. I have um, somebody gave me this very nice book recently. It's called Poetry of Presence, and it's an anthology of um, mindfulness poems. So I have uh, one that I have been looking through it, and I um, there's one that I, I quite like. It's, um, it's a little bit, puts a humorous slant on it. And it's called Smart Cookie. And it's by Richard Schiffman. <clears throat> the fortune that you seek is in another cookie. Was my fortune. So I'll be equally frank. The wisdom that you covet is in another poem. 
<laughs> the life that you desire is in a different universe. The cookie that you are craving is in another jar. That jar is buried somewhere in Tennessee. <laughs> Don't even think of searching for it. If you found that jar, everything would go kerflooey for a thousand miles around. <laughs> it is the jar of your fate in an alternate reality. Don't even think of living that life. Don't even think of eating that cookie. Be a smart cookie. Eat what's on your plate, not in some jar in Tennessee. That's my wisdom for today, though I know it's not what you were looking for. <laughs> so, um, another uh, thought on this um, kind of the, the, the kind of energy of the mind to always lean into more other better. Uh, um, uh, Robert Wright, who's a, an evolutionary psychologist, says that, um, that our DNA is programmed to do this. So, um, you know, because what our DNA wants to do is to preserve the species. The DNA doesn't care about our happiness. It's totally irrelevant. So uh, he wrote a book called Why Buddhism is True, and a very interesting book. And, um, and he said, the Buddha is right. You know, like this, this journey, this, um, this, this practice to uh, transcend these um, continual uh, forces that we find coming up in our in our being um, it's going against the stream the Buddha said that he called it that this practice is going against the stream and um, and so so it can feel like that it can feel like that for ourselves that um, you know we see the arising of Aggression or competitiveness or, or you know, grasping, and and it feels uh, can feel natural to to just follow it, and and our families, you know, often will encourage us, you know, to compete, to um, to get more, to be more. To, to look in a certain way, you know, all of these things that we learn in our, um, in our upbringing. And so, uh, and we see it, as I mentioned, in our society, you know, of course, every woman and man now wants to have better hair, you know, Smilk, silky smooth hair, and you want the, of course, the person always of the opposite sex to be attracted to you so so all of these um, all of these messages which are so 
prevalent. So we're very fortunate to have the, what are called in the, in, in the Tibetan Buddhism, Buddhist tradition, the opportunities and blessings, the opportunities and blessings to practice the Dharma. And uh, there are 18 that they list, I don't remember them all, but, but it's, uh, you know, basically to have enough health, even if our health is not perfect, to have enough health, to have enough peace, even if our peace is not perfect, that we're not dodging bombs falling from the sky or marauding hordes of armies, you know, burning our houses down, which a lot of people are experiencing right now. That we have enough food to eat. That we've heard the Dharma. That we've, you know, the Dharma is as being taught. So, so we're very fortunate to uh, to have these opportunities and conditions, uh, blessings to practice. And so we can, rather than feeding this cycle of suffering, you know, just continuing on with the desire and the anger and acting it out and entrenching it and creating more in ourselves and in the world around us, that we can stop. We can stop and we can learn another way. So in our Dharma practice, we learn to slow down and, um, and, and become aware of these reactive patterns. So when we, when we begin practice and we're, you know, pra- we're practicing um, you know, ethical speaking or you know, um, we're practicing <clears throat> uh, not not grasping, not taking more than we need, and, and we're practicing not acting out in anger. Um, there's, when we, when we begin to cultivate awareness, there's a, a period where we, we just notice how fast it is. Those reactions just come. The words fly out, you know, the, the fridge door is open and, you know, I'm eating something or, or you know, or, uh, you know, people have different addictions uh, or different ways of acting out their delusions. Um, and, um, and remember, this is, you know, it goes back to, you know, the wanting pleasant feelings and, and wanting to get rid of unpleasant feelings. So a lot of addictions and distractions, it's all about that. And, uh, and so there's that automatic reactivity. And then, you know, we stay with the mindfulness practice and we maybe begin to notice that, you know, somebody said something to us and we're reacting, but in the middle of the sentence we notice it. <laughs> so we can, we have the opportunity to say, oh, you know what, you know, let me just stop. And, so, and, and then 
as we as our mindfulness deepens, then we notice it coming up. You know, before we say or do or you know something that's that's unskillful. And um, so we develop the capacity to pay attention to what's happening in the moment, rather than getting drawn into patterned automatic reactions like we're robots. You know, we really, sometimes we really are like robots. Uh, there's just no mindfulness there. So we're, um, so we, uh, and, 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 you know, that's why practice in daily life is really sort of where the rubber hits the road in our, in our mindfulness practice. Because, you know, it's in our daily lives and especially with the people that we're close to, right? That the, these reactive patterns come out. There was um, a story that, you know, so a, like a pattern that I think this, it's a personal story that I think just really illustrates this process of, of, of seeing the triggers and seeing the, um, how the reactive patterns, you know, create more suffering for ourselves and relationships and how we can kind of, uh, just, uh, pull back on that and, 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 and investigate it with kindness. So um, I, I'm married to a man who's very, very different than I am. And, um, and we have a good relationship, and we need to work at it, because we, uh, we kind of see the world in different ways. And um, so, so, <clears throat> so something that he did for a long time that really bugged me, really irritated me, was that sometimes I'd be going out, you know, maybe going to teach a retreat or going on a retreat. Uh, you know, we sometimes we travel together, but uh, even when we travel together, he, he, he would do this. He, you know, he'd, he'd start listing, you know, uh, do you have your cell phone? Do you have your charger? You know, did you bring, did you bring your ticket? You know, do you have your passport? And, and I, I said, you know, and I always would, and, and sometimes I would a little, you know, you know, I've done this for a long time. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm competent. I can do this. So, so finally, after this little friction, this little dance happened for a long time, finally, I, I, I had the presence, mindfulness, to unpack it with him. And I said, you know, Richard, when you, when you go through these lists with me, I feel like you, you think I'm not competent. I feel, I feel like, you know, and, um, and he said, no, I don't feel that at all. He said, you know, the way I see it, it's like, you know, my 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 husband was a pilot for a while. For, you know, he he really enjoyed flying, and he said it's like you know when you're when you're going on a plane, you go through your checklist, and you know if you have a co-pilot, you 
you talk to each other? Okay, check, check, Roger, check. You know, it's like it was not in any way with that perception. It was just, but what was triggering me, but then I realized, okay, you know, I have old stuff around this that I was not affirmed as, you know, a young woman who was competent and intelligent. You know, I was valued because, you know, people always affirmed me and my family because I was pretty. So I was the pretty girl. And I didn't need to be competent. And nobody expected me to be competent. And those were older days, too. But, um, but, but then, you know, I, as I emerged as a young adult, that really hurt, you know, because I had, I had intelligence and creativity and I wanted to express myself and I, I felt it wasn't valued or it wasn't being called forth. Anyway, that's my perception. That's my perception of what I experienced. And that's an old wound. So, so, so that's, that's unpleasant. That's a painful feeling, right? So that memory is a painful feeling. Painful, pleasant, neutral. And somehow, totally unintentionally, Richard was touching that painful feeling. And it, when, I, when that painful feeling got touched, I pushed back because I didn't want it because I resisted it. I wanted to get rid of it. So I pushed back with anger. And there it is, the, the chain of dependent arising. Um, so contact, memory, feeling, craving, clinging, uh, in the form of, of uh, aggression. And it was so, it was, it was freeing to see that, you know, and, and, you know, he asked me, do you have this, do you have that? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> so, so the, um, the Buddha used an expression um, to describe the journey to freedom. Um, crossing over the floods and um, so crossing over the floods the, um, the floods is, is a metaphor for how we get overwhelmed how we get swept away and overcome by the way we interact with the circumstances in our lives so um, we can get so overloaded that uh, we shut down, you know, we go into addictive behavior and so on. So um, the, the word um, floods also is connected to the uh, word asavas in, uh, in Pali, which means outflows. So underneath all the bubbling stream of our mental activity um, that gets manifested in speech and action, there are these floods, these currents, and, um, and the Buddha named four. So the, a flood of sensuality, a flood of becoming, 
a flood of views and a flood of ignorance. So a flood of sensuality, we've talked a fair bit about that. So again, this is getting kind of pulled into the trance of pleasant experiences, of, of wanting more, of, of wanting uh, to just have that, those pleasant feelings. And, um, and an avoidance, a resistance to unpleasant feelings. So, so, um, so, so what, what the mindfulness teaching is, is that when we're mindful of, okay, this is a pleasant feeling, that we place a wedge of mindfulness, that, that mindful attention, before the grasping arises, before the craving and the clinging arises. So we're mindful, oh, this is pleasant. But then when we, and we can enjoy pleasant, uh, but then when we're, the clinging starts, then we, we, we're sensitive, we're tuned in enough to feel that push or that pull toward more, 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 more. And the same thing with this is unpleasant. So, um, so, you know, sickness comes up. I feel, my body feels unpleasant. Um, and, uh, and so, can I be with it? Can I be with the unpleasant feeling of being sick with some equanimity? Um, things didn't happen the way I wanted. Um, I didn't get that job. I didn't, I didn't um, find that pair of shoes I needed, or whatever it was. You know, uh, you know, I didn't get that call from a friend that I was hoping for. And you know, can I be with that unpleasantness with equanimity? So it's um, it's knowing. So before we go into the story of. Nobody loves me. I'm no good. Nobody wants to hire me. Um, all of the stories that we can get caught into, uh, we we just recognize. Oh, there's that unpleasant feeling of maybe okay, it's disappointment or you know just there it is and just let it be there. Sometimes, you know, I'm just, I'm just going in my daily life and, and unpleasant feelings arise, emotional feelings, like sadness um, or a little anxiety, you know, and it's, it's just, oh, there it is. Yes, it's unpleasant. And, and just letting it be there in the space of awareness. And then it moves through. So, um... It's not the It's... If it's denial, it's pushing it away. It's ignoring it. So... What I'm talking about is not denial because it's it's acknowledging it. It's acknowledging the presence. 
of an unpleasant feeling. It's opening to it, it's letting it be there. It's actually intimate with it, it's being intimate with it. <clears throat> so the, the, the next becoming is identity. And um, so, so the next, sorry, the next uh, outflow is becoming. So becoming is we're always creating a sense of self, a story about who we are. And, um, and so it creates this illusion of, of self and, and, and of our, ourselves moving through time as a kind of a, a permanent um, entity. So we have our stories and we cling to this sense of being somebody to buffer us from the wind of change and give us ourselves a sense of stability. So who am I? You know, so you know, I'm a teacher, or I'm a mother, or I'm, um, you know, uh, a woman. Um, you know, uh, well, a woman is, you know, it's, it's. But I was, I was starting to say, you know, well, maybe we might think, oh, I'm good looking, or I'm. Um, or I'm, I'm very smart, you know, I'm so smart. Everybody always tells me how smart I am, so I must be smart. Um, so, um, or I'm wealthy, I'm uh, all of these things that, you know, people identify with. So what happens when um, I identify with being smart and then... I find myself in a situation where there's something I just can't get. You know, everybody's smarter than I am. You know, um, yeah, uh, you know, like my husband, uh, I mean, he said he's actually didn't, maybe he did suffer at the time, but uh, he doesn't suffer about it now, but he, he said he was, you know, he was so affirmed for his skill in physics. He was a phys he's a physicist. He just taught in college until he retired. And, and uh, he said, and then, you know, he was doing his master's and he suddenly realized, everybody around here is smarter than me. I'm not getting this. You know, so can we, can we recognize, okay, I'm, this, I'm up against my, my limitation. Or, you know, if we, I mean, we identify and, and we see. I see so many, especially women who identify so much with being attractive, being beautiful in conventional ways, that um, there's this clinging, you know, to, uh, to being attractive. And, um, and, you know, and if this is who you are, then it's scary to get old, right? It's scary to lose that, that youthful, attractiveness. Um, if, uh, if I identify with being a teacher, then uh, what if I'm not a good enough teacher? What if, you know, what if somebody doesn't get it? What if somebody doesn't like the way I teach? You know, does that make me threatened? Do I feel uh, somehow less because of that? Um, 
I was told a story about um, uh, one of the Rockefellers. I think it was. I don't think it was Henry Rockefeller was one of the first Rockefellers, an enormously wealthy family in in states, railroad fortune, and he had an empire of, uh, of wealth and um, and. And somebody asked him once, you know, is this enough wealth for you? What, what's, what's enough? What, wh when will you feel content? And he thought about it and he said, a little more. <laughs> never enough. Never enough. So, so, um, you know, we we attach to the stories and then we have not only these big stories but we have all the little stories about our lives about whether we were deprived or whether we were fortunate or or whether we we were likable or whether we were you know the the one that was scapegoated or you know all of these things and we create a, a sense of self around these stories and um, and and it's uh, it's so limiting to our lives when we identify with these stories, because who we are is always evolving. Always, life is always moving through us in new and creative ways. Um, it's uh, one, there's a meditation. It's very, very helpful for addressing this clinging to um, becoming, this clinging to a sense of self. And this is a meditation on death. Because none of this, we can't take any of this with us in death. None of this persists. It's so helpful to meditate every day on the reality of death. And um, the Buddha asked, asked some of his uh, students, you know, how often do you meditate on death? And uh, somebody said, um, you know, something like, uh, oh, you know, several times a week I meditate on death. The Buddha said, not at all. Not enough. And then somebody, and he asked another, how, how often do you meditate on death? He said, every day. I meditate on death every day. And he said, not enough. And, uh, and then he asked another one. He said, he said, every breath. Every breath. And every breath is, is a, a birth and death. Every breath. With every breath we're born and we die. Um, another poem I'd like to read to you. Uh, it's called Lessons from Darkness by Anita Burroughs. Everything you love will perish. Try saying this to yourself at breakfast. 
watching the amber-colored tea swirl in the teapot. Try it on the tree, the clouds, the dog asleep under the table, the sparrow taking a bath in the neighbor's gutter, a magician's act, presto. On a morning you feel open enough to embrace it, imagine it gone. Then pack the child's lunch, smooth the thick peanut butter, the jeweled raspberry preserves over the bread. Tell yourself the world must go on forever. This is why you feed her, imagining the day, orderly, unfolding, imagining what you teach her is true, is something she will use. This is why later you will go out into the garden among the calendula, rosemary, hibiscus, run your finger along the trunk of hawthorn, as though it were the body of a lover, thinking of the child on the steps of the schoolyard eating her, eating her sandwich, thinking nothing, transparent air where her hands are. So to hold them both, hold a love for life, to engage, to commit ourselves, and at the same time accept the teaching of death. It's profound, very important meditation. <clears throat> So the other, another uh, of the outflows that the Buddha talked about were views, how we identify with views, opinions, doctrines. So we can just think of how much discord happens because of a difference of views, Catholic and Protestant, Sunni, Shiite. Um, many come from religious doctrines. But even views about sexuality, about work, about how we should do something, um, about education. Um, when we identify with our views and we know that we're right and we stop listening to others, that's, um, that creates suffering. And, uh, and that's one of the views. And then the most fundamental of the views, ignorant. Ignorance. It undermines our direct investigation. We ignore. So, ignorance is the beginning. I mean, the the circle of of dependent arising is a circle of how suffering is perpetuated. But at the bottom of it all is ignorance that that we that we are in denial. Ignorance is denial. Um, and fundamentally the greatest ignorance we have is not knowing who we truly are not knowing our true our true nature our, our, our essential being so we 
we abandon ourselves. We, we divide our hearts, we divide our minds, we stand outside ourselves and we, we uh, make judgments about ourselves. And, um, and really, uh, we need to find our way home, find our way back to ourselves, to our essential nature, which is not something that can be named, not something that can be defined, not something that is um, uh, an identity. It is can only be pointed to with um, words like beingness, or um, the Buddha used words like the deathless, or the unconditioned, or the unborn. So, so when we when we turn inward, just beginning by just resting in the breath and steadying the mind, not getting drawn into stories, not getting drawn into wanting, into creating worlds of, you know, these dramas in which we have, you know, these identities and there's all this uh, conflict or difficulty. but we just move into the silence of presence, our inner presence, uh, which is aware, which is clear, which is um, open. So, so, so the way we move from nourishing pain and cycles of pain to nourishing this awake, loving being is to turn toward, uh, with kind awareness and compassion, turn toward our hearts. And pain is not all we'll find there. You know, we'll find tenderness, we'll find playfulness, we'll find, we'll find joy and love. But pain will be there, and pain sometimes uh, keeps us from reconnecting with ourselves. I want to read one more poem. Um, When I was in high school, I discovered Khalil Gibran. Did anybody else discover him in high school? He was like, for me, you know, my uh, door to opening to spirituality is like, wow. And and then, you know, I I didn't read him for many, many years, but I I read him again, and um, and and he he holds up. (laughs) So this one is called On Pain. And um, so this is from the prophet. Uh, And a woman spoke saying, tell us of pain. And he said, your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. Even as the stone of the fruit must break that its heart may stand in the sun, so must you know pain. 
And could you keep your heart in wonder at the daily miracles of your life, your pain would not seem less wondrous than your joy. And you would accept the seasons of your heart, even as you have always accepted the seasons that pass over your fields. And you would watch with serenity through the winters of your grief. Much of your pain is self-chosen. It is the bitter potion by which the physician within you heals your sick self. Therefore, trust the physician and drink his remedy in silence and tranquility. For his hand, though heavy and hard, is guided by the tender hand of the unseen and the cup he brings, though it burns your lips, has been fashioned of the clay which the potter has moistened with his own sacred tears. So opening, being present with all of our lives, including our pain, is essential. The reality is that each of us, all of us, are already free. We already are that which we seek. There's nothing that needs to be added. There's nothing that we don't have that we need to get. The awakeness, the clarity, the compassion, the love, it's all there. It's all present in us. We just forget. We've gotten, it's gotten obscured, it's gotten foggy, it's gotten, we've lost, perhaps we've lost our way, but we can find our way. We can find our way back, and that's what our Dharma practice is about. We, We can wake up in our lives, wake up from the obscurations of craving, clinging, grasping, resistance, confusion, and ignorance. And sometimes we have a moment of transcendence. Sometimes we have a moment where we're not caught. We're not caught in the clinging. We're not caught in the resistance. We're not caught in the turning away toward ignorance. And we're just that in that open space We're not for or against anything. It's just all there. It's all present. Uh, And we encompass it all. And in that moment, then we're free. And then perhaps we forget again. But, But those touchstones, those moments of clarity, those moments of openness are kind of um, touchstones along the way. They're signposts along the way. And um, and and meditation, you know, the, the Buddha talked about seeing the other shore and uh, passing over. Meditation is kind of that raft which takes us uh, to the other shore, which is the freedom. Um, but in a way, the metaphor of the other shore 
falls short because there is nowhere to go and there is no other shore. And I'm just going to end with a, a poem by Kabir. I said to the wanting creature inside me, what is this river you want to cross? There are no travelers on the river road and no road. Do you see anyone moving about on that bank or nesting? There is no river at all and no boat and no boatman. There is no tow rope either and no one to pull it. There is no ground, no sky, no time, no bank, no ford. And there is no body and no mind. Do you believe that there is some place that will make the soul less thirsty? In that great absence, you will find nothing. Be strong then and enter into your own body. There you have a solid place for your feet. Think about it carefully. Don't go off somewhere else. Kabir says this, just throw away all thoughts of imaginary things and stand firm in that which you are. So we'll sit for just a minute, please. No need to get up, it'll just be a minute. You don't need to change postures. <coughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.